The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Shannon Penrod, and so thrilled to be here with you this morning for Autism Live. We're going to be with you live for the next hour talking about so many different things, looking at autism from a 360 degree perspective. We've got some amazing guests. Uh, we're going to be kicking off uh, after Jargon of the Day with two, not one, two uh, moms that are authors of books that are out right now that might be of interest to you. Got Nicole Donovan, who's going to be with us, and J.M. Crawford. We've had Nicole with us before. Her book is A Life Suspended, uh, but J.M. Crawford, she's going to be with us for the first time, and her book is entitled Choices. And both of these books detail uh, from a perspective of a mom of individuals on the autism spectrum. I think you're going to be particularly interested in what these ladies have to say, because so many of you will write in and say, you know, we don't get a full spectrum perspective often enough. And in particular, uh, Jam Crawford's, Crawford's book, Choices, is um, about uh, being the parent of uh, someone who is highly impacted with autism. So uh, I think you're really going to love the balance of this conversation. Uh, we're going to have two two moms at the same time. So that's coming up in a little bit. Uh, but first, I want to tell you that there's lots of ways for you to interact. We're looking for, good morning, Lucy. Lucy's right on. I was just going to say, you guys can be writing in right now. Say hello. You know, I love to talk to you guys uh, person to person. Uh, but Lucy said, good morning. Good morning to Lucy. So thrilled that you're here. We are live right now on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, and on our homepage, autism-live.com. Uh, plus a bunch of other sites. And if you're watching us on YouTube, Twitter, or Facebook, you could be writing in right on those platforms right now, and the message comes directly to us. If you want to write in on autism-live.com, that's an entirely different thing. It's a non-interactive chat. You can leave questions in the chat box at the bottom. I don't have the ability to respond directly to you. The intent was to be able to respond during the live show. Um, so there's that. Uh, but it is a great way to get in touch with us, especially when you have questions for our experts like Temple Grandin or Dr. Doreen Grampichet. I tend to go there to look uh, first for those questions for you that you guys send in. Uh, also, if you're watching us as a podcast, we are uh, a podcast, a free download, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're watching in that format and you're like, shoot, I would have liked to have asked a question, another Great thing to do is to go to our website, to that non-interactive chat, leave your question there and uh, an email address so that we can reach back out to the expert. Make sure that you reference what expert 
Don't just say, what is she talking about there? Because I don't know which she you're talking about. So say the expert that talked about this, or if you see their name on the screen, which uh, Traven gives to you guys on a regular basis, you can say, hey, when you had Dr. Grampy Shay on and she was talking about toilet draining, what did she mean when she said this? And then I can ask her and then I can write you back. Uh, please be patient because we have been working with a skeleton crew for more than a year. And if, if I tell you the ship is <laughs> ship is sinking because I can't be in charge of all those things, uh, it's been it's been rough. And so I apologize in advance because sometimes I'm having to do things that I am not good at. Uh, but, you know, we plug on. We're the little show. You know, my mantra is Dory's thing about just keeps women. I'm trying, but occasionally I float and sometimes I go under. Uh, but again, uh, good morning to Lucy. Good morning to Yaima and good morning, Amanda. Happy Mother's Day to everybody. So I hope everybody had a really blessed day yesterday. It's a hard one. I think it's a hard one. Um, but I hope that you had at least a minute where some sun or light was on your face and that you got to be grateful for being a parent. Because let me just tell you, you know, I remember the years upon years when I wanted to be a parent and it was not happening. Um, you know, so everybody's thing is different, but we should all be, I, my grandmother always used to say, if everybody stood in a room and put all their troubles into one basket and passed them around, everybody would take back their own troubles. You've heard that. Um, so I hope you found some joy in being a parent yesterday, if you're a parent, because man, for me, it's been the greatest adventure of all time. Uh, not always easy. <laughs> I just wrote a thing the other day about Mother's Day. And I said, do you remember those old army commercials that used to say the toughest job you'll ever love? Well, that's how I feel about motherhood. It's the toughest job I've ever loved, but it's not easy. Uh, it is not an easy gig, but one I'm incredibly grateful to have the opportunity to do. Didn't know if I was gonna get that opportunity. I remember sitting at, with a, a friend many years ago. I was already in my mid thirties and it looked like that just wasn't gonna happen for me. And I just suddenly burst into tears and I said, I think I was supposed to be somebody's mom. You know what I mean? And just like, that's, that's when the biological clock has imploded. It's not just ticking anymore. It goes, um, and, and I realized, yeah, that was, that was something I really meant. And you know what? I wouldn't have missed this for nothing, uh, to be a mom. Ooh, wished I'd had time to, to be more, do more. And we intended to adopt and, you know, stuff, life happens while you're making other plans. So anyway, happy mother's day to everybody. And uh, uh, thank you, Yaima, and happy Mother's Day to you. <laughs> Excuse me. Okay, so a couple things we got to talk about before we get into the jargon. Uh, we have lots of experts that are here on the show, and I love bringing you experts so that you can ask them questions. And everything that we do here is free, so that's a really cool thing. I just like to remind you that while I have a very vocal and I think informed opinion, I am not an expert in, in really anything, but especially not an expert in autism. So uh, please, you know, feel free to ask me a question or ask our experts question, but don't mistake me for an expert, yeah? Uh, Brian, good morning. A first time chat with you. Uh, they've got a three and a half year old, almost four year old with ASD, was diagnosed at 18 months. 
we have made great, great advances with their child since smart, verbal, loving, etc. Awesome wins, wins. But um, he's very low on the social side, and a return to daycare really highlights his problem uh, and limits. I look forward to many chats with you. My wife is a wonderful mom and 100% in-home dad after job loss 10 months ago, and that that was a blessing. So. Uh, and I love how you're looking at that, right? Because many people are like, COVID, and I lost my job. And other people are like, yeah, COVID, and I lost my job. And look what I got the opportunity to do, connect with my kid, or I would never have had this opportunity. So I love that you are looking at that glass half full, because you know you have the choice of looking at it half empty, but what's, what's that get you? So right on with that. I also want to say to you at three and a half, with an ASC diagnosis, it follows that social skills would be impaired. Like this gets into what we were talking about last week with the difference between acceptance and contentment. So first we got to start with, oh yeah, mm -hmm, that's acceptance. That's makes total sense at three and a half for social skills to, to be impaired. Um, and especially after a pandemic where he's been isolating and not being about the friends, it's like, mm, yeah, well that follows. That doesn't mean we have to be content with it, however. And I think um, it's been particularly hard to work on social skills for, for anyone in this, I, the great isolation as they're calling it. But as things are starting to open more up and as the spread of the disease is getting smaller, uh, we're starting to see more and more things open up. One of the things that I would encourage you to do is look to making a pod and what, what we were told to do when my son was three and a half was find the bossiest gut girl in the class. Um, that can be a, a, a girl who's on the spectrum also, or it can be a girl who's not on the spectrum and there's schools of thought about which might be better. But when you get a bossy gut girl, I was a bossy gut girl. Uh, <laughs> they're like the girls who are like, no, it needs to be this way. The little control freaks that are gonna grow up to be big control freaks, right? Um, but here's what those kiddos do for your kiddo. If you can make a pod and find the girl that's like that in the class, and sometimes there's a boy in the class that's like that, get them too. And if you can find another kiddo in the class, boy or girl, who is a sibling of a bunch of kids, so mom is so overrun, they're happy to farm that one out on a regular basis, make sure that these people are isolating in the way that is safe for you and your family but now you have built-in playdates on a regular basis and work with whoever your ABA provider is and start going, okay, so on Monday's play date, here are the three things we're gonna work on. And, and everything else is gravy. You don't have to like worry about everything. We're just gonna like, you know, maybe the, the thing for Monday's play date is that we're gonna work on sharing, right? And so we're gonna give them multiple opportunities to share. They're not gonna do them all, but we're gonna heavily reward when either one of them shares, right? The great thing about the bossy gut kid is that they will not hesitate to tell your child when your child got it wrong, right? You're gonna be there and the therapist is gonna be there to tell them when they got it right, but they're gonna correct your child. Because sometimes, you know, people don't correct our children and that leads them to think that everything is going smoothly. We don't want them to be negative to your child in the correction, but a bossy gut, but, a bossy gut girl will go, no, do it this way. <laughs> and that's great for a three and a half year old, right? But don't have an expectation that three at three and a half, like 
that's the beginning of the time when kids are starting to starting to play with each other, not next to each other. And that's if they're typically, I hate that phrase, but neurotypically developing, right? I don't like it, but you know, it's the phrase we have. So don't sweat it too much, but start having play dates. And so if you have the bossy gut girl, if you have uh, another boy in the class, um, that's a little bit bossy. I know a lot of times kids don't want to have that kid over for a play date. So moms are grateful when you invite that kid for a play date. And then that kiddo that I was talking about that, you know, uh, there's so many kids in the family that mom is like, no, 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 go play at their house. That these are all kids who can become your child's friend, which creates a pod in the, in the classroom. So that they've got people to play with people who get them. And they're going to help your child to grow and become comfortable so that it'll generalize over to other children. What you want to do is make sure that when those kids are at your house, they're having the best time. We would always, um, you know, I would send my husband to In-N-Out, which is a big deal in, here in California, and they would get whatever they wanted from In-N-Out. So that's what we would have for lunch. And I would let them trash my house for video games. That's how we taught social skills. But don't panic about it. You're, you're going to be fine because you've caught it at three and a half and you're concerned about it. And all of the kids right now are, you know, even kids who never had a problem with social skills are having a problem with them now because they haven't done it for a year. So it's going to be okay. Much blessings to you. You're, you're an awesome dad. You are, you're going to get this. Uh, I, I guarantee you it's going to happen. And then as he gets older, there's going to be other things that you do. Um, eventually, our house, when my son was in junior high, on Friday afternoon, if everybody's grades were good, they, there was a group of five people who were invited to our house, and they would play video games, and I would feed them, and I would have popcorn all over my house, and they were allowed to scream and yell and do all kinds of things and get all their yayas out, and, and people would like negotiate to try to get into the five to be there for the Friday afternoon. Ours, we made our house the class to come to. Uh, but yes, bossy gut girl, that's a technical term. <laughs> totally kidding you. Uh, yes, uh, feel free to write back with more questions, Brian. Okay, and good morning, Samra Wheat. I don't, although I don't think it's morning where you are. I don't know, is it morning, afternoon, or evening where you are? Uh, but anyway, so thrilled that you guys are here. So let's, uh, we're getting a little bit behind in schedule now, but I, I wanted to answer that question. So it's time for us to do jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to figure out what in the hey nani nani are those experts talking about? And I know what today's jargon is, so I'm ripping paper out of my show notebook. It is three-term contingency. Doesn't that sound like just something really like wrong with your mortgage? Uh, the three-term contingency, or maybe something really right with your mortgage. It has nothing to do with your mortgage. Okay. When we do jargon, first we give you the actual definition whenever possible. I make fun of that because that's how I roll. And then we give you a working definition, which sometimes makes the experts break out into hives, but hey, that's just a benefit. And we try to give you um, an example. Don't panic if you don't get it the first time. It's okay. You're okay. Our children were not born with a book on terms for psychology. 
you don't want to get overwhelmed, which is why we try to do this in a way that's light and fun um, so that people don't get overwhelmed. So let's take a look at our actual definition for three-term contingency. What in the hey, nani nani is this? Okay, three-term contingency. And oh, this one's a doozy because what does it start with? Inoperant conditioning. Can you hear the toilet flush there? <laughs> the minute somebody says inoperant conditioning, I go, hmm, 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 I don't want to know right? Because what the heck does that mean? Inoperant conditioning refers to stimulus control. Ooh, it's a baddie. In particular, an antecedent contingency called the discriminative stimulus uh, that influences the strengthening or weakening of behavior through such consequences as reinforcement or punishment. Somebody save us. What in the heck is that pile of poo? I think there's a there's so many jargon terms in there that it's dizzying. And if I really needed to know what three-term contingency was, this would not help me in the least. So let's go now to our working definition and see if it's any better. Three-term contingency, it's the ABCs of behavior. All right, I can get my head around that. I kind of want to know what the ABCs of behavior are. And the ABCs of behavior are antecedent behavior and consequence. Now, if you're like me and you came into this without a degree in psychology, um, <laughs> which is a lot of us, right? Um, then you're like antecedent, that's just more jargon, Shannon. You're not helping me here. Okay, but I just want you to remember ABC. And I took my piece of paper out of my notebook. And while I was talking to you, I folded it into thirds, right? So now when I open it up, I have three columns. And across the top, I'm going to write A, B, and C. I do this all the time. I don't know if you can see because of the light. A, B, C across the top, right? And I can fold this puppy up and I can put it into my pocket. Um, but, and I'm sure that there are there's an app somewhere or somebody should make an app for this. Um, but I'm old-fashioned. I like paper and pen, right? And I like to be able to stick this in my purse or my pocket. So what this is, is a reminder to me that behaviors don't happen in space. Behaviors are not random. When you have a child on the spectrum, at some point, somebody tells you that your child's behavior is random. This is clear proof that they don't know about autism at all and that they're not an expert and they're not the person you're going to go to for advice because your child is, and you are not behaving in a random way. Every behavior that you do, every behavior that I do, whether we're on the spectrum, not on the spectrum, it has a reason why it happens. Uh, especially if it's happening over and over and over again, um, then it really, then it not only has a reason why it's happening, it has some sort of a reward for happening, some sort of a paycheck that we get for it. So when we start to look at the behavior that somebody is doing, whether they're a person on the spectrum or they're a person not on the spectrum, let's say that at your job, you have somebody that is consistently coming in late and it's driving you bonkers, right? And you want to stop it. You can also use ABC to look at this. Well, the first thing that we want to acknowledge with any behavior is that you and I have very little control over the behavior of other people whether they are two or 22 or 200, you and I, what are we gonna do? And this is where we get into problems in our society is when we think we can control behavior, right? Because that 
you know, I'm, I think I used to say is like, you know, what, what am I, when my child does something, what am I supposed to do? I'm not going to beat him. Am I supposed to duct tape him to the wall? Like when you're someplace with your child and your child is kicking a chair, you say to them, stop it. Right. And that is a form of insanity because does saying to your child, stop it, ever stop it. I guess for some kids it does, but not for my kid, it didn't. Right. And I didn't really have control over his behavior. Well, the principles of ADA say, you don't, you're not going to try to take control over the behavior. Behavior happens for a reason. Look at the reason and, and you look at the three-term contingency. The three-term contingency says that something happens. This is the antecedent. So it's what happens before the behavior. Simple, right? You get two for one jargon today. So antecedent, what happens before the behavior? That's the A. The B is the behavior and the C is the consequence. So what we're doing here is we're taking data. So let's say that we go into the doctor's office and the child sits in the chair and we're sitting there for 10 minutes and then the child starts to throw things, okay? And I yell at him and I drag him out of the doctor's office and he's kicking and screaming. All right, so that's a chain of behavior there. Now we take the three-term contingency and look at it in a different way. What actually happened? So what happened before? We went into the doctor's office and we sat in a boring environment for 10 minutes where there was absolutely nothing going on for him. And he got bored. And there might've been flickering lights that were making him go crazy. So after 10 minutes, the, the timer on his sensory system went ding and he couldn't handle it anymore. So he started throwing things. And what was the consequence? Because the C is the consequence. What was the consequence of that behavior? I picked him up and we left the doctor's office, right? So now I can look at it and I get a whole bunch of information from this. So what I know from this is that there was 10 minutes where there was no input or there was like the crazy strobing light, I don't know, and a ticking clock on the wall, maybe, or somebody was watching, you know, a show where people were yelling at each other in the lobby of the, you know, we would want to write all that down. And then the, the behavior, I would want to write down completely, he, you know, what did he do? He picked up um, stuff that was on the table. He threw magazines. He stomped his feet. He spit on the floor. Whatever it is, I'm going to write it down here. And then the consequence, I want to be really mindful about everything that happened. But the main consequence was, you know, we weren't putting up with that. So I took him out of the doctor's office. But let me ask you something. Now that we put it into this term, what have you learned? Because the first thing that my head goes to is he was bored and maybe he wanted to leave. Perhaps, I don't know, just from one thing, but I'm already asking questions. Maybe, he, maybe it was so boring he couldn't handle it. And he was like, I know from the past, if I throw things, she's going to be embarrassed and we're going to leave, which means cha-ching, he got what he wanted. So ABA tells us in this three-term contingency, it says you don't really have control over the behavior. Stop thinking you have control over the behavior, but you have a whole bunch of control over the antecedents. How would this scenario have played out if I had a baggie of toys that we only bring for doctor's appointments, visits, and I get the, and this is exactly what we had in our family. My mom made this zipper bag that had all these zippers on it and different pockets on it. So we would take a zipper bag with us when we were going someplace that we had to wait. And so we would undo one zipper and there would be, you know, like um, some silly putty and a little egg in there. And that's about a five minute toy. 
So he would, you know, be playing with it. And the minute I would see, okay, he's played with that for like five minutes, I'd go, oh, open another zipper. And he'd open that and there'd be a little wind up toy that was a little monkey that would do flips. Great, that's about a five minute toy, right? And then we would open another, every five minutes, we would open another zipper. Guess what? No throwing, we didn't leave. So changing the antecedent, giving him input, um, giving him something fun and entertaining so he couldn't get bored meant the behavior didn't happen. So I don't have control over the behavior, but I have some control over the antecedent, which is empowering, right? What about consequence? What would happen if, if I discovered over and over and over again that if he throws a tantrum, what we've been doing is, the consequence has been we've been leaving the area. What we might find is that that's exactly what he wanted. And whenever we find out whatever, be, whatever they want from challenging behavior, we give them the opposite. So, cause we don't want to give the paycheck for it. So if we find out that he throws a tantrum to get out of things, that when he throws the tantrum, we don't let him get out. That's miserable and unfun for them. And it's unfun for us, but it is a powerful way with the help of experts to make tantrums stop happening in those circumstances. It's much more complex than that. But my point is consequences play a role. If I know that I throw a hissy fit in the the grocery store um, shoot when, when mom is getting ready to pay for the groceries and I throw a hissy fit that she hands me candy, then I'm going to keep doing it because I want my paycheck. It's hard work to throw a tantrum, but I want my paycheck, right? So the three-term contingency outlines it clearly. Something happens, there's a behavior, and there's a consequence. This is not just challenging behavior. This is all behavior Every day, this is the example that I give everybody all the time because it, it's just clear, right? Every day you are engaged in this minute by minute. At some point today, you're going to walk into a room or you're going to get up from the chair that you're in and walk over and turn on a light switch. Why? What was the, that's behavior. What was the antecedent? Well, you know, you couldn't see. Your eyes were straining. Um, so you walked over and the behavior was you flicked the light switch because you have learned that the reward for that, the consequence for that is light floods the room. You, you and I were all engaged in the three-term contingency on a regular basis, but it's powerful when you understand it. And it's a powerful way of looking at behavior that is both empathetic, humane, smart, and effective and scientifically proven um, to work. So three-term contingency, it sounded terrible, but it's actually great. It's the three-term contingency, the ABCs. Lucy says, I keep toys in my purse. Love the new uh, loopy looper. I don't know the loopy looper. You're going to have to show me the, uh, I'll have to Google that loopy looper. Remind me, Traven. And good morning, Christina. So thrilled that you're here. So there's our jargon for the day. Let's take a look at what our question for the day is because we're making our guests wait. What is your favorite treat? Like, what is the thing for you that it's like, oh, that's the treat? Like, I know for some people it's chocolate. That is not my favorite treat. I am allergic to chocolate. Last time I had chocolate, I ended up in the coronary care unit of a hospital. So chocolate is not my thing, but it might be your thing. What's my point here? Everybody has different things that are their things. And sometimes your thing today is not your thing next week. And it's really important to know what reinforces people. 
Um, you know, what, what is the thing that flips their switch? What is the thing that's exciting to them? And to not assume that because they liked it once, it's going to be the thing that they like forever. How many of you, yesterday was Mother's Day, how many of you got something that maybe you asked for a long time ago or that you didn't want? There's a joke in my family because one Christmas my husband was talking about getting me a crock pot. Uh, actually, I think it was that Instapot thing, which, you know, I think is a fancy crock pot. And I think I said something to him like, if you get me a crock pot, I'm going to get you coupons to get the car washed. Uh, <laughs> like that's just not going to, I don't mind, you know, uh, getting a crock pot for the house, but if that is my gift, it's not reinforcing to me. Um, some people like flowers, not my thing right? What's your thing? What's your favorite, favorite treat? Uh, what's the thing that you like? Uh, oh, Lucy says it's the new Discovery Toy Fidget Toy. Ah, okay, Lucy, I see that you put the link there. I gotta go, uh, I gotta go check it out. I love me some Discovery Toys. Uh, that is not uh, a commercial. <laughs> I said that of my own free will. Okay, uh, so tell me, what is your favorite treat? Like, what's the thing we're always looking for things. Um, our sponsors ask us uh, things all the time about what would really reinforce folks in the autism community, people on the spectrum, their parents, uh, their teachers, like what are the things that would reinforce them? So feel free to write in what would be your favorite treat. I think I shared this the other day that I like to buy a lottery ticket and just think of how I would spend the money. And right now the, there's one of the, I think it is the Powerball that's, 390 some on million dollars. Oh, I've had so much fun this week planning how I would spend that. Uh, and I asked uh, our producer, Traven, what, if I won over a million dollars, like what would be the gift that he would want? And it was so interesting what he said, uh, because it was less than a $500 thing. And I was like, dude, like if I win a million dollars, you got to be asking for more than $500. But you know what? It's good to know that that's what's reinforcing to him. So Somebody said, I just want time with my kids. Bless you. Um, you know, and honestly, like if, if that is not something that you have had ample amount of during COVID, I want you to try to find some time to do that. Because uh, I think there's a lot of people who, who love their children, love their children, but can't wait until their children are back in school so that they can look forward to spending time with them again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, okay, what's your favorite treat? Write it into us right now. That leads us to our topic of the week. And my apologies to our guests, we're almost done. Uh, making traditions. That sometimes this is a, you know, we just went, I wanted to do this after Mother's Day because it's hard. I think sometimes on holidays where we have this expectation of what it's supposed to look like, which is all, you know, you know what they say, normal is just a setting on the dryer. It has nothing to do with anything, right? But it's hard sometimes because you see other people are like, oh, we always go to brunch. That's what we always do for Mother's Day. And we always get our mother this or that or whatever. And sometimes for our community, that can be a little rough. But one of the things that I learned along the way was that you can make new traditions. You can find, you know, there was one Halloween that we couldn't find a pumpkin. There's just no pumpkins. It was a pumpkin shortage in Los Angeles and I'd blown it and didn't get a pumpkin a month before. Who knew, right? Um, so we got my son a watermelon and we carved the watermelon and that's been our thing now. We, you know, sometimes we still get pumpkins, but we always get a watermelon too. And here's the great thing. 
is that you can eat the watermelon without having to like cook it. And it's so much easier to clean it out than it is a pumpkin. And, uh, and it works just as well. In fact, a little bit better because it's easier to cut than a pumpkin. Um, so now it's just this crazy tradition and we live in Los Angeles. There's still watermelons that time of year. And, um, and it's our, our thing and it's perfectly fine. So, uh, what, uh, what about you guys? Like if there's a tradition that you feel like you're missing, uh, from your life before autism came to live at your house, is there a way that you can make a new tradition that takes its place? Because the whole thing about traditions is that sense of family and togetherness and being accepted. And I think that those things are not just important to our families, they're more important to our families. And so I think it is essential that we create new traditions. And sometimes the traditions, like not only is it a great thing, they serve us. Uh, in our house around this time of year, we're getting ready for my son's birthday. He's gonna be 18 in three weeks. And we have traditions about his birthday and every year from the time that he was three, um, we would make a thing of, you know, now that you're this age, you get these new responsibilities. And some of them were things that he had to do. And some of them were things that he got to do. And that became the tradition along with a bunch of other things. But you know what, that was so great so that we could remember for ourselves, for my husband and I to move the dial and go, okay, well now he needs to be able to do this. And he would always like, well, now I get to do this. And now he's going to going to be 18, which means I get to retire. I don't know what, uh, I can't even go there right now. So anyway, traditions, they're important. Okay. We've gotten through all the things that we need to do. So I want to welcome our fabulous guests who are going to be with us today. We are welcoming Nicole Donovan. She's been with us before, and she is the author of the book, A Life Suspended. And for the first time, we are welcoming J.M. Crawford. She is author of the book, Choices. And these two ladies, it's, you know, a lot of times we'll have an author on and they will talk about their book, but these two ladies have joined together and are going out and have a mission together with their two books. And we're going to talk with them about that, why they wrote these books. Let's welcome them to the show right now, ladies. There you are. It's such a thrill, and I'm sorry that I ran so late, but it's such a thrill to have you ladies um, and, and to be with us this morning. So uh, I, I want to Start at the and I gotta. I'm getting an echo. I gotta turn my. Hold on one second, please. Uh, I gotta turn my speakers down. Uh, or it might be somebody else's. Can you both just lower your speaker down a little bit, uh, jo uh, Joanne? It's probably yours because Nicole has uh, headset in, um, and that will just make it so we don't have echo. There we go. So, ladies, let's let's start by talking about uh, these two books, and if you would. Um, I would love to give each one of you like a minute and a half to talk a little bit about yourselves, uh, why you chose to write these books and give sort of the, the you know, because they're very different, these two books. So give us the, the sort of one minute about what, what your book is like and about. Uh, Nicole, do you want to go first? Sure. Uh, my book uh, is called um, A Life Suspended. Uh, mother and son's story of autism, extinction births, and living a resilient life. So I liked the uh, subtitle because it really kind of wrapped everything up. Um, 
my son was diagnosed with, for lack of a better term or whatever, um, high functioning autism. And so he was later diagnosed at seven and a half when he was exploding out of his school and causing quite a ruckus uh, and disruption and ended up getting expelled. So within that whole experience, we thankfully got a diagnosis of autism and then we could really come at it from a practical and systematic manner through ABA and getting things put in place for him. So when I went through that experience of, you know, dealing with educators and dealing with my emotions and his dysregulation and all of those things, I thought, wow, first of all, we're not alone in this. Second of all, there's a lot of people going through this and there's a lot of kids that are not being diagnosed or being underdiagnosed. And this story needs to be told for them, for these other parents, for educators. So that's Wonderful. why I wrote the and, book. And I don't know, Joanne, are we calling you Joanne or JM? What do you prefer? Okay, Joanne. Joanne. Uh, Joanne. So uh, for Hi. you, the story is a little bit different and that's kind of what I love about the two of you pairing together. Tell us about Choices. Yeah, so um, Choices actually began as a blog, and um, I actually wrote it because I was on uh, a board of directors that was building housing for adults with autism, and I got so many responses for that one blog, um, and it was my first and only blog, uh, a friend encouraged me to expand it into a book. And my, my story is about my son was diagnosed at three. And this is back in 1993. And I, I never even heard the, the word autism before. Um, it was a total shock and uh, a huge learning curve for me. And I was in the middle of a move and, and a divorce. And, um, and now I had this on my plate. And not only was it um, an education by going through the experience and the education system. But when it came to adult services, um, when he turned 22, that was a huge awakening. Um, I was led to believe it would be a transition and it turned out to be yeah. quite a challenge. So yeah. this is about overcoming that challenge. And I, I really believe that we need to somehow uh, bridge the gap between public education and adult services because literally overnight at age 22, everything you ever worked for, advocated for, any services they received, you're back at square one. In fact, so many yeah. people refer to it and as falling off the cliff. That's literally what they call that period of time yeah. because it's such an abrupt drop off. Um, but you've written this book and I, and I love the title of it, uh, Joanne, because just the idea that there are choices, because I know a lot of people who feel like, ah, I got nothing. Um, but, mm. but even just looking at it right. and saying, you know, here's what the choices are, um, is I think empowering. It is, and I think that as parents, I mean, every kid with autism is different, right? 
And I think, you know, I love that you're going through these jargon words because it's overwhelming. You know, it's like another language. And I was always one of those people, no question is a dumb question. And they would read all the reports at these IEP meetings. And I would say, that's very nice, but now you need to explain it to me, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and, and I think that there needs to be more communication, you know? Um, and, and, and like Nicole, you know, I, I happen to work at a middle school with um, special needs kids. And so um, there are quite a few people in my building that have read the book and it helps to educate the teachers because they really, even though they're surrounded by these kids, um, they really don't know what the snapshots are, what the day-to-day -day, uh, challenges Wonderful. are. So, so here we have you, both of you, and you have these lovely books and you're both on these missions. Why did you decide to band together? What was the, what was the thought process about, I've got a book over here, she's got a book over there, let's uh let's get together tell me about that who wants to tell me oh well i think it's a funny story because um we ended up being at the same event a, a mutual friend someone that joanne actually worked with uh was a uh, self-published author and she helped other authors get published and i went begrudgingly because i did not want to publish my own book because it was a lot of work and it was overwhelming and I went and I'm sitting there and you know how these things fall into place when you know you're in the right place at the right time and there's synchronicities and there's something you can't really explain, but you're like, okay, there's a bigger plan here at play. And um, the woman said, oh, this is a book that I just helped this author, you know, choices. She was a mom and she has a son with autism. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. So then I went up to her after and we had a conversation and she's like, let me give you my book. And I was like, oh, all right, great. So she gave me her book and I don't know, ever since then, we were just kind of like, oh my gosh, we speak the same language, we're doing the same thing. And, and I said, wouldn't it make sense if we kind of like came together as a panel and went out as these two authors doing this advocacy work? And she said, yes, and I here we it. are. <laughs> because a lot of times, let's be honest, you know, as moms of individuals, right? Um, and, you, and you just said it, Joanne, all of these kids, all of these teens, all of these adults on the spectrum, they're their own people. They're, they're different. And so as a mom, when you're reading a book from another mom, really a lot of what we're doing is looking for that acknowledgement of, yes, this part of this is my story. Yes, this part is my story. And yet it's never exactly your story. And, and I know um, people are frustrated when they feel like their story is not being told. And what I love is that, Nicole, you describe your son as having fu high functioning autism, and yet there's still challenges there. And, and people need to acknowledge that, that high functioning autism, I mean, we're gonna talk about Elon Musk in a second, but you know, high you know everybody thinks, oh, well, that means you're gonna go and send uh, rockets to Mars but there's a lot of challenges on the path. It's not necessarily easy. And Joanne, please speak to us about, you know, I believe that you identify your son as having some profound challenges on the spectrum. And, but tell me what words you use. And, and that's a whole different bag and that story doesn't get told enough. Do you agree? Oh, you're muted, Joanne. 
There you are. Okay. Yeah. We can hear you. Am I, am I back on? Okay. Um, yes, my son is nonverbal. Um, what What was but, your question? Um, what did you want me to but it's a, speak do to? Do you feel like okay. that story gets told enough? Because everybody tells me that story does not get told enough. Um, well, I, I think in general, going back to the details, um, and, and I've said this before, I think parents of kids with autism, um, this, the details might be different in their stories, but there's the common threads are the same. You know, you're dealing with behaviors. It just depends on how uh, severe and, and what, what kind they are. I, I think with, with individuals like my son, um, most times they do not end up in high school, honestly. Um, I think once they hit middle school, the gap gets wider. It becomes more and more of a challenge. Um, kids get bigger, especially boys. Um, hormones and autism are not a good combination. <laughs> um, and so the gap gets wider. And uh, regardless of budget, you know, you will have special needs directors helping you find a place to place your, you know, a residential school to place your uh, son or daughter. Um, because it becomes a real struggle. And you, I mean, parents as one, even as two, I was a single mom. So I had no one to hand off to. I, and, and as it was with my son growing up, I, um, I did have therapists coming to the house, um, but it just wasn't enough, you know? And so you need a staff. And my son is in a group home now and he gets 24 seven. Um, and they're wonderful, but they're a staff and they rotate and they get a break and um, they can con continually reinforce and um, keep an eye on him and um, help him provide him a quality of life that I, I never could. So I think maybe the stories get lost in the dust because these kids disappear, you know, into um, residential programs and or day programs that are no longer uh, in the schools. But the that's a story schools. that needs to be told. Yeah. I, you know, there's a lot of parents who will come here and they're at that point where they're having to figure out that piece. And I don't think there's enough stories being told about what the parents went through emotionally and, and all the machinations of having their child placed and, and being okay. We were all fed a, a bill of goods that if, if it came to that, it was the worst circumstance and that our lives as parents would be over and that we would be pariahs, which is not true. Um, that there are many parents who have a much better, closer relationship with their children in placement. It doesn't mean you have to abdicate all responsibility. Um, so I appreciate that that story is being told. But really quickly, since we already uh, have started this, tell us a little bit about where both of your children are right now. How old are they? How are they doing? Um, and if you care to, any challenges that or triumphs that you've got going on right now, Nicole? 
Sure. Um, my son, Jack, is he goes to a, um, a day program, a regular, well, not regular, but a, a special needs um, high school. And he travels quite a bit to get there. It's out of district, but it's, um, it really fits him. It, it's, uh, it's supportive enough and he feels like he belongs, which is all you really want your kid to do is feel like they belong. And he's among peers and he's made so many good friends and it's just a great experience for him. And he's, um, yeah, he's finishing up ninth grade. He is in the process of uh, learning how to drive, which is, <laughs> that is a challenge for sure. We're, we're, we're taking it super slow with him. And then he's, he just got a job. So like in his day-to-day -day life, he's just, you know, he has a schedule. He works off of that. He's just pretty independent with the supports and that we've put into place over the years. And he's really, you know, he's great. He's, he's doing really well. And Joanne, you told us a little bit, but how old is your son now? He just turned 28 in March. And um, yeah, he's in a group home. Um, I live on the Cape, so he's, but he's off Cape. Um, and he was in a day hub uh, program uh, up until COVID hit. So I was listening to the tail end of what you were talking about and it has really affected everyone, the virus, uh, especially our kids. And um, so he has not been in his day program, but you know, instead of this sending him into a tailspin, he's actually done very well. So, um, yeah, he, he's he's happy. He's doing well. And um, in fact, his um, ISP, which is just another word for IEP <laughs> in the adult world, um, is coming up pretty soon. And um, he's getting really good reports. And they've written in. I've been remiss. Yeah. They want to know yeah. how can they get the books. Well, you can go to my website, which is nhdwrites.com, and there's a section for book, um, the book, and it will tell you all the places to get it. Um, it's also available on Amazon, so that's always a quick hit. Okay, for and Joanne? And mine also um, is on Amazon, and you can go to jmcrawfordwrites.com. Um, Okay. And get the book uh, and and we encourage you guys uh, to do that to get their books. So, ladies, you both been through a lot of years. I always say I used to say there was the pioneers, right? There were the people who were doing this way back when. We're all too young to be considered pioneers, but you guys have sort of run the gauntlet. You guys have gone through all the different stages, um, or most of them at this point for you, Nicole. Uh, you've got a wealth of information and knowledge. So if, if there was one piece of advice that you could give, if a family is tuned in today and their child was just recently diagnosed, what would, what piece of advice would you put in their backpack, Nicole? I would tell them to get support from peers or, or a community, like find, find their people, <laughs> um, because I found that that really helped me and not to be able, not, be, not to be afraid to ask for emotional support, whether that's through, you know, someone to help you process it or someone, or, 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 you know, a professional, um, because it is a lot, especially when your child is first diagnosed to to kind of sift through all that information and what that means and then emotionally 
to digest how that meet what that means for you personally as the parent. So that's what I would Love recommend. And I would say. And I would say, in addition to that, um, don't put all your eggs in one basket. You know, um, take information from all different sources. You know, and um, and then make your own decision. And and to remember that you have a voice, and you have the power of the pen. And so, you know just take in the medical and the teachers and, you know, it's overwhelming, but just take a breath and you make the decision based on the best interest And you mentioned the child. power of the pen. There are many people, uh, parents um, on the spectrum and individuals, uh, parents of uh, individuals on the spectrum and then individuals themselves on the spectrum who find, um, I don't know, catharsis or um, I don't know what the word is, but um, that it's transformative to write. You, the two of you took the time to put things into a, into a full book and then go through the publication process, which is nothing to sneeze at. That's a pretty intensive process. So I'm wondering what, what you learned about yourselves in this process. What, what did writing the book help you to understand about yourself or change about you? Nicole? And Joanne? Well, for me, um, just the process was very therapeutic, whether I published it or not. Um, and I think that, you know, I mean, we do, we live it, but I think when you write it down, it even makes it more real somehow. It makes it more credible. You, you see it and hear it. And um, so I think, I think it helped the healing process for me. Um, and I didn't know I could write, <laughs> so that was good. Um, but I don't know. Um, other than that, I guess I really haven't changed. You know, I, I still, you know, I think it helped me maybe to have a stronger voice. Maybe that's I'm curious, you know, yeah. a lot of times when people are going through um, something of this nature, and I think in particular for parents when they're going through this with their child, it's a very insulated experience that the rest of the world doesn't really see or get to know. And then you write a book 
And are there friends and family that read your book and said, oh my goodness, Nicole, I had no idea. Oh, Joanne, I, like I wished I'd known. Uh, was there some shock when they read your books? Yeah. And Joanne, you were shut, you were nodding your head too. Yeah. 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 I, you know, the comments that I would get back, even from family, I had no idea. Yeah. I had no idea. Um, and I think it's because, you know, you be, you get so caught up in the day to days and uh, you're, you're so busy and then you're so exhausted. Like Nicole said, um, you yeah. don't have time to complain about it, you know, yeah. you really don't. Um, yeah, you're just caught so, up in the experience. Yeah. Well, we're about out of time, but I do want to say this, um, that I do, I think that there is something amazing uh, about when parents write down their stories and tell them. Uh, and I think it's healing to people um, that are in the experience to read them. So I encourage you guys to read the the words of these two wonderful ladies. Um and then when you find the one, because everybody finds a different book, uh, one of you might read Nicole's book and go, oh yes, this describes my experience. Or you might read Joanne's and go, no, this one describes my experience. I encourage you, you don't have to write your own book. You can give that book to your family members and say, this is a book that um, tells partly our story so that, so that we begin to get to that level of understanding. Um, you know, it, it, it doesn't have to be your story, but your mother-in-law can read maybe Joanne's book and go, okay, is, are you going through this? Is this how you feel? And that sparks the conversation. And that's one of the beautiful things about the written word. So I applaud you two ladies. Happy Mother's Day belatedly. Um, we put the, the, uh, your websites in the chat so that people can go directly there. Of course, you can go to Amazon, but it's probably better if you go directly to their website and buy them uh, and support them in that way. Uh, but we thank you so much for, for sharing your stories with us um, in this way, in this format, and both in that and in the written word. Thank you so much for all that you've done for your kids. Ah, oh, our pleasure. Right. Thank you, you so much, much for having wonderful, us. Wonderful day. Thank you. <laughs> bye bye. Uh, we're Me here too. at the last Thank 30 you. seconds bye. of the show. I just want to say that tomorrow on the show, uh, we are doing the a, a replay of one of the best of our Dr. Temple Grandin interviews. And on Wednesday, um, Oh, I, I love Yaima says, I think these books make families feel that they're not alone and we are not the only ones going through this. Yes. 
I agree with you, Yaima, absolutely. Um, but I just want to say on uh, Wednesday, we are going to be doing a pre-recorded version of uh, Dr. Doreen, Ask Dr. Doreen, because Dr. Doreen and I have to be somewhere else on Wednesday. But on Thursday, we are slated to be back with Bonnie Yates live. And then we have Vince Redman on Friday, licensed and marriage and family therapist. So we hope you'll be with us for the entire week. We've got some shows coming up for you in May. Let me just tell you, it's going to be exciting right here. So I will see you back here tomorrow with uh, the best of Dr. Temple Brandon. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now.